0: nowadays we put a lot of av on the ones and zeros we have to make sure that it gets there with integrity they want more features but they want to see less hardware
1: we are very much focused on others just
2: as an industry this is the market scale pro av show hosted by daniel litwin the voice of b2b your weekly b2b kickback for the best thought leadership in the industry bringing you education information and inspiration Sound check complete. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Market Scale Pro AV podcast show. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. I hope you're getting used to hearing from me because I'm not going anywhere, and I am going to be hosting all of these Pro AV and AEC shows for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to know more of you, and I want to hear from more of you, actually. So, if you have an idea for a show, if you have an idea for a feature, some analysis, maybe even something that you think would be great news for our News Minutes, I want to hear from you. Shoot me an email at daniel.litwin at marketscale.com. Again, that's daniel.litwin at marketscale.com. Litwin is spelled L I T W I N. It's lit and we win here at Market Scale. All right, so today's show is called Are You Not Entertained? And yes, that is derived from the one and only Gladiator. But we're going to be looking at AV in the arena. So both esports and traditional sports. So come on, gotta gotta put together a great little pun here, right, for the title. So we're used to jumbotrons, right? That's not something that's particularly new in a traditional sports setting, but AV has more varied uses and has opportunities to elevate fan experience, communication, and ROI. So it seems like the perfect time to chat about these things, and we're gonna be hearing from James Giglio, CEO of MVP Interactive, to give us a taste of how Pro AV can help drive fan engagement. ...and in turn boost attendance. We're also going to hear from frequent collaborator Jennifer Willard... ...who's back on with John Green, VP of Sales and Marketing for New Era Technology... ...an aptly named company because we're going to be talking about... ...how the rising market for esports is a perfect opportunity for AV professionals... ...to develop in this emerging and flourishing sector. So it's definitely a packed show and similarly packed was my Thanksgiving dinner. I hope everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving... I spent it with family at a friend's home. There was no cranberry sauce. Uh, That definitely ticked me off a little bit, and there was no ham either, because ham is better than turkey. It's consistently less dry, so I hope Everyone agrees with me or maybe I'm going to lose some listeners on that take. But yeah, I, I wish there was some cranberry sauce. Wish there had been some ham. But you know what? This is a season to be thankful, not a season to complain. And I was thankful to be with friends and family. I was thankful to have some time off and to recoup that energy and bring it back positive for this last stretch before the big holiday season rolls around. Another good thing that I love about the Thanksgiving season has got to be Black Friday shopping. I went with my sister. She insisted on going this year. And, of course, as soon as we get close to the exit on the highway, standstill traffic, it was pretty horrible for about 30 minutes just sitting there listening to tunes. And I didn't end up finding anything on Black Friday itself. So, really, it was just more bonding time with the family. It didn't actually get any deals out of it. But that weekend, I did grab a great jacket from Urban Outfitters. So... Definitely came out on top. But you know what I didn't see and was actually really surprising was there wasn't any exciting digital signage anywhere. And I put together a retail podcast recently where all we talked about was Black Friday. And all we talked about was stores need to elevate their in-store experience to bring people off their couch, off online deals and into the store to turn Black Friday into, you know, that event status that is typically remembered as. And one of the things they were mentioning on that podcast was using digital signage or innovative interactive solutions to elevate that in-store experience. And I didn't see any of that. Maybe it was just me and the stores I went to, but I went to North Park Mall, which is uh, one of the larger malls in the Dallas area along with Macy's and Fairview, which is, I guess, a little smaller, but not really. I mean, it's it's a packed area, very commerce-heavy, and you would think uh, they'd try to bring something new to the table. I didn't really see anything. No, digi- no, no digital signage, no AR, no VR, no interactive kiosks, nothing like that. And I hope this wasn't really a national trend because there's so many options. You could do an interactive social media board so that... Consumers can tweet what they got, and boom, I mean, you get more engagement. Um, you could have interactive stuff just for pure entertainment. I mean, it could be you walk by and snowflakes start falling on some kind of interactive mirror or live stream. Video wall, it could be anything. It could even be showcasing the hottest deals in the store, right? Just some actual functional digital signage. Nothing to elevate experience, just to capture the eye and to draw people into the store. And really, I saw none of it. They were just relying on name brand, and I guess it works in some instances, but I think we're going to see that working less and less. So, pro-AV providers out there, manufacturers, encourage these retailers to push the boundaries a little bit on, during the holiday season. There's so many opportunities to elevate that in-store experience, and maybe it's going to take the pro-AV industry to really motivate retailers to make that happen. An example of some digital signage or just an interactive display that I thought did this really well uh, was something I saw at the store Keel's. Um, It's a lift-and-learn product display. So basically, you walk up, you grab a product, and all this digital signage reacts with beautiful fruit. It flies up, and it shows you what skin product you're picking up and what items are in the skin product. So you pick it up, and then limes and mint go flying through the screen, and it's all totally interactive. What a great way to learn about a product you're wanting to purchase— What a great way to engage your customers. And this was put together by Pixel Inspiration. I'll link the video in the description as well. But yeah, come on, retailers, make this happen. This should have been a staple at every store. I mean, not this exact display, but yeah, come on. Let's get innovative with our digital signage because it's a a fresh way to get people off their couch into your store spending that money. Pro AV industry, let's make this happen. All right, so enough about that. It's time to dig into our first piece of content. A lot of meaty content today. All original, all fresh, never frozen. We're starting off with AV in sports. So again, this is not a new topic, but as of late, innovative digital signage and pro AV installs are really becoming essential to curbing low fan attendance. Sports teams, similar to other industries like we were just talking about in retail, have found it harder and harder to get fans off their couch and into a physical space, into the stadium. Game day excitement just isn't enough anymore. So how can next level Pro AV step in and step up to fill the gap and turn some heads? We're joined by James Giglio, CEO of MVP Interactive, who's been pioneering AR and VR opportunities that bring communities together, but most of all, drives fans to the stadiums and encourages some higher ROI. All right, James, great to have you on the podcast today. I'm excited to dig into our topic of how is ProAV and technology in general being used to drive fan engagement at sporting events. So James, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Excited Absolutely. to be
2: here. Yeah, yeah, definitely looking forward to getting your insight on this topic. Um, I know with your company, you've been working on building a lot of great new technology and using specifically VR and AR to get fans to the stadium, which you wouldn't think is an issue, but I guess as of recently, we've been seeing more issues in getting fans off the couch and getting them to the sporting stadium. Uh, why do you think that is? Why is it getting tougher to sell the game day experience as being special?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're you're spot on with identifying that trend, and I, I think property owners and sports teams have been focused on combating that uh, at-home viewing experience because, you know, as you know, uh, the advent of large screen TVs and the, the price <laughs> as we're coming out of Black Friday here, you know, those prices have dramatically dropped from where they were five, six years ago. And so uh, this idea of having this, you know, very comfortable, connected experience at home with second screen engagements, whether it's fantasy, uh, watching content on a 4K screen as well as you know creating these uh these man caves if you will or uh, these sports zones at your house um, really is a compelling and comfortable um, experience for a fan and so i think it's been a a wise and, and smart decision for the overall market to you know, really generate, um, you know, this really theme park experience for a sporting event to help uh, consumers, you know, uh, or entice consumers out of their home and to experience uh, the game day. And and so, you know, you can carve out a full day of activity and uh, really see a much valued ROI on your uh, purchase of tickets and, and to really create this overall experience that not only are you going to experience the game, which is obviously the most important factor and feature of the of the stadium, but you can really take in and immerse yourself in a full day experience. And, and that's going to really create a, a memorable one for uh, both young and older fans.
2: Definitely. And it's really in line with what people are getting at home or even casually Uh the The accessibility of AR technology and VR technology in the home is already pretty astounding. So it only makes sense for that kind of technology to leak its way into into things that people are paying to visit, right? I mean, these uh, sure. these events, these grand events, even um, I mean, people look forward to getting tickets for their favorite NFL team. So why not elevate that experience to something that feels a little more modern, feels a little more in line with what is new and fresh in, in experiential technology?
0: That's right. And, you know, it's not only going to be implemented as a part of the holistic game day experience, but we've worked with properties and teams to... Uh, leverage this technology as, as a way to generate revenue for the club itself in, in so much as selling uh, season tickets or highlighting uh, stadium enhancements through virtual reality. And so I can speak to an experience that we produced for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for example, where they were looking to uh, update their sales center um, to help uh, sell and promote season ticket sales as well as kind of speak and evangelize to the new stadium enhancements. And so um, in working with their marketing team and their operations team, we learned a little bit of what they were looking to accomplish and, you know, what we felt was going to be a great uh, feature into uh essentially creating an attraction point for for fans to come during the off season to see the sales center as as a showcase and, and learn a little bit more about what's going on with the team in the stadium and so what we came up with was to create this uh very u- unique and one-of-a-kind um virtual reality uh touring experience in that we uh, 3D rendered the entire stadium as well as the, the new Jumbotrons that were mm. were being installed into the, the stadium. And we put live content on that as well as uh, re- working with the architectural group of the, of the team and um, creating this touring experience of what the yet-to-be-built Hall of Fame clubs were going to look like for the upcoming season. And so um, using virtual reality and pairing that with a... You know, a uh, an Xbox remote control. It allowed uh, attendees and potential season ticket holders to to navigate the, spe- uh, the, the space, um, look to see what their um, vantage point would be uh, inside the club, looking out onto the field. And it was also neat that we were able to incorporate, you know, Jameis Winston, who is their their starting quarterback, and he spoke as a little bit of a narrative and a sales pitch in terms of, you know, the highlights of the stadium as well as. Um, integrating their on-air talent spokesperson to speak about the highlights of their um, the Hall of Fame club. And so uh, they proved to be extremely successful in that. Uh, anecdotally, they had mentioned uh, in previous seasons, they would be booking generally about um, 10 visits a day at the sales center. And with their marketing campaign and, and outbound sort of um, evangelical, uh, uh Uh, outbound solicitation in terms of promoting this, this, this VR experience, they, uh, they were basically able to increase that to about a hundred visits a day. And so, so it was real tangible um, response by the market. And, you know, we also equipped their, um, their sales team um, with VR headsets, that they could take this experience uh, onto meetings. And so um, it was a great way and a great sales tool for their street team, so to speak, to, to kind of go out there and Um, promote the the game day experience and so so that was a a unique experience for us which I thought was a really well executed and uh, yes it kind of blended the sort of fan experience but also had a real business opportunity for the team to to help uh, promote their facility and and sell tickets which obviously is, is the key
2: right and I'm glad you brought that up because I was gonna ask you you know besides getting people to the stadium I think it's important to find ways to use this technology to increase ROI in various ways, whether that is, uh, you know, getting them more excited about buying merch, whether that's uh, getting them to purchase, um, you know, maybe some tickets for side events because this technology introduced them to it. So I guess what would you say are some examples besides the one you just mentioned of ways that this technology is not only getting people to the stadiums, but is increasing value and bringing returns back to the stadium and to the sports team.
0: You know, as we know, corporate sponsors are are really a paramount relationship to any um, sports team, and so, you know, with the advent of experiential technology and having the properties allow and leverage these sponsors to to promote their brands. Um, you know, hours ahead of gates opening really creates a a valuable incentive for for both the team and the sponsor to work together in, in showing mutual value add. And so leveraging this technology um, you know, we've had experience where, where teams would introduce us to their corporate sponsor marketing teams and, and or brands and say, hey, you know, here's a great provider of, of technology that we think could benefit your, your brand experience, you know, pregame. And, and so, you know, we've seen some, some great um, experiences with that. And, um, you know, gamifying a particular product or message is also one that experiential opens up to to uh, particular brands and so when you're immersed for example in an interactive or a simulated sporting activity um you know you're in the game so to speak right and and so if that happens to be sponsored by a bank or an insurance company or maybe an automotive company um you know not that that's a secondary message but it it's a it's a it's a holistic experience that Um, you know, the user is going to be able to partake in and then also Uh, receive some information on that brand after the experience with a fun photo or a video of you playing and carrying that through your social channels as well.
2: I'm glad you brought up social channels because I think we are seeing beyond just AR and VR, um, some other great pro AV, some other great technology solutions that are engaging fans. I know that in retail stores, in a lot of places where there is an emphasis on being in the moment and sharing sort of what you're doing in that moment there are cool solutions and uh cool engagements uh where People are sharing a tweet, people are posting something on Instagram with a hashtag, and then boom, it pops up on the screen. You know, you get to see that in real time. That's not something particularly new, but I think it's becoming more comprehensive. So I wanted to pick your brain a bit on the back end of integrating all this kind of technology. How do you go about getting that technology into the stadium and making sure the system and the network are up to par with uh, that new solution?
0: Yeah, no, that, that's that's a great point, and you know we've been fortunate enough to during our sort of I guess uh, preparation or operational installations, working with the facility, learning a little bit more about the bandwidth capabilities of the stadium in advance, and really um, factoring that into our development early on has been a, a key ingredient for us, and so. Yeah. I think when it comes to the fixed locations, you know, we don't pull or require a lot of bandwidth or data to to run our engagements. You know, integrating some technologies into existing platforms pro- provides a, a unique challenge and opportunity. And so I can speak to an example um, with uh, Atlanta United Football Club, their um, the soccer team there, where um, they had an existing team application and they came to us and said, Hey, you know, we're looking to integrate. Um, you know, an AR element into our team app. And so we had an opportunity to build a an SDK that just plugged in seamlessly into the team app. And so we created this AR scavenger hunt for the team that they were able to promote uh, through their social channels to say, hey, you know, we're going to create this uh, one-of-a-kind experience where fans and, and folks with the app on their mobile devices had to scour the city of Atlanta and collect as many, coins or tokens as as possible um, in, in order to win a free jersey. That was a great example of just kind of integrating into an existing platform, and, and it worked really well. And
2: I feel like the entire pro-AV industry is moving in that direction too, uh, whether it's at corporate events, whether it's in fixed installs, or whether it's in something like this, which is sort of a, a supplementary experience at an event. They are looking at the human experience because the technology itself, while interesting, can't just live on its own. It needs to provide a larger purpose. And people are realizing that. And I guess that that brings me to my last question, which is how do you feel like the industry is adapting to this specific technology? So bringing AR and VR into the picture.
0: I I do think that, um, you know, we're seeing nice trends. It's trending in the right direction. It's just not about you know the brightest sign anymore, or the nicest music. It's you know what are your engagement points, and and so I think AR is a great tool um, to really educate individuals uh, via a second screen or mobile phone with with maybe content in the store or at a stadium. Um, VR is a little bit unique in the sense that um, you know it's a very one-on-one experience, and so it has to be the right setting. And um, but it's a great opportunity for users to. Uh, immerse themselves in a, in a setting that they wouldn't normally have access to. And, and so there's value there. Well, it
2: seems like a perfect time for the pro-AV industry to really take hold of this technology and continue to implement it in places like sports stadiums, arenas. Um, even the eSports world is a whole other conversation that I chatted about on another feature on this podcast. But at all of these large-scale events, you're seeing more of a need for fans, for consumers to interact on a higher level beyond just the scope of the event. And if AR and VR can accomplish that in an authentic way, which it sounds like MVP Interactive is finding ways to do, then I think that should be uh, the direction that the industry goes. So it's exciting to see. And thanks, James, for coming on the podcast and walking us through these great trends in AR and VR in the Sports Stadium.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure and um, really look forward to um, hearing other podcasts as well.
2: All right, that does it. All right, that was a great conversation with James. I really, really enjoyed hearing from him on how AR is stepping up. It's quite an exciting piece of technology. And like I mentioned in the podcast, seeing it in the home and seeing how accessible it is for the average consumer is going to make it even more desirable on that commercial level. And seeing companies embrace it as a standard for interacting with fans, interacting with customers, and really elevating that in-person experience. All right, so before our second feature, we've got industry news to throw your way. That and a quick look at at the next big Pro-AV battle. System on a chip versus media players. Which one's gonna win out? Let's dive in.
3: These are your Pro-AV News Minutes, brought to you by Market Scale. That sound from an augmented reality digital sign displayed on a sidewalk in Norway. It might sound playful and rhythmic, but its translation is anything but. The voices from the sign are chanting, white and free, don't take over our country. When standing in front of the sign, it appears as if a group of white supremacists, many with faces concealed by ski masks, some swinging baseball bats, are marching toward you down the sidewalk. The sign, created by outdoor advertiser Gise Deku, asks pedestrians to donate money to the Norwegian Center Against Racism via an attached payment terminal. As soon as payment is received, the display and chanting stop. For the full effect, you can watch the display in action on the company's YouTube channel. The official LED display supplier for the Chinese Super League has extended its exclusive contract with the Chinese Football Club until 2020, according to Pan Stadia and Arena Management Magazine. As part of the new agreement, Absin will have heightened involvement during CSL games, creating interactive graphics, animations, and messages to engage the audience with the CSL brand and sponsors. Absinthe has already provided 16 CSL stadiums with super-wide LED displays. The displays measure more than 260 meters wide, which is wider than the height of the Eiffel Tower. Sydney trains will soon have a control room with a 41 million pixel display. That's the largest number of processors ever installed in an LED display, according to AV Magazine. Instead of a dark, closet-like control room, the rail system will sport a bright, open, futuristic control room with an over 100-foot-wide LED display that can monitor Sydney's 178 train stations. Sydney Train's Executive Director, Tony Eide, says the new control display will allow the rail company to consolidate six different control centers into a single rail operations center. I believe the new centralized control center and LED display will change the way the rail system manages day-to-day operations by providing real-time information for making informed decisions, which will significantly improve the customer experience and possibly their safety too. John Kaminkowski, who was a technical supervisor for the project, says a long lifetime of components, low maintenance, low cost, and the small amount of space an LED display takes up make this display technology perfect for control room environments. I'm Landon Jones and these have been your Market Scale Pro AV minutes.
4: My name is Elmer Guardado and today we have an interesting story from digital signage today. System on a chip versus media players, which is the right choice, right? So basically there seems to be two separate camps, right? A camp that thinks that system on a chip, this all in one product idea, might be the best, most economical solution, right? While other people argue the case for media players, which offer more versatility and are not, you know, directly tied to the appliance you're using for your digital signage. So which one is the right choice? Is there one that's an industry norm yet? Is there one that's inching ahead of the other is one objectively better? To better understand this conundrum, we're joined by Bradley Cooper, technology editor for Digital Signage Today and blockchaintechnews.com. He has a background in IT, advertising, and writing, and he deals with press releases from multiple digital signage companies on a weekly basis. So he's going to try and help us make sense of this all. How are you doing, Bradley?
5: Doing well. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us here today. So, Bradley, I want to start a little broad first, right? What are the core objective differences between these two system options?
5: Well, basically, a media player was be um, a more separate hardware solution that you would use alongside the displays, whereas a system on a chip would be something integrated into the display. So that could be just something all-in-one, you just, you know, buy it directly. You'd say, I want to buy this display with this chip, or you would say, well, I want to buy this display, and I'm going to look at that media player over there.
4: Okay, okay, so yeah, that that definitely makes sense, and let's uh, let's break it down to what are the you know, what's the main argument for the system on a chip? Because, I mean, it does seem more convenient, right, with the all-in-one package, but what what's the idea there?
5: So the argument for that is, well, essentially, like you said, it's all-in-one, you've got all-in-one package, and it's cost less than buying a separate media player, and their argument would also be it's more uh, convenient.
4: And what about from, uh, and we can talk about this when we get to the other side, but what about from, like, a... Uh, economic standpoint, is there one that stands out as being more economically viable?
5: I think it really depends on what you're trying to do, because with digital signage, there's all sorts of things you might be trying to do. You might be a small retailer that just wants to, you know, put up a few slides about your latest discounts, or you might be trying to create this really immersive experience to really get people involved. So I think from an economic standpoint, it depends on what you're trying to do. But if you could probably say if your idea is you want to do something small and basic that the system on a chip might be more economical. All
4: right, all right. And then what about what's the main argument for for media players? What's that what's that main case?
5: I'd say there are two points. The first one is that media players are more designed specifically for digital science, whereas a system on a chip might not necessarily be that designed for that. And also just media players obviously because there's better computing units they can handle that more intense deployments it can handle you know better content it can handle 4k it can handle a lot more things than a system on a chip can
4: and going back to system on a chip is this something that uh you know our company's offering software updates with this or is this a, you know replaceable you know piece of hardware like what are we looking at are you locked into that once you make your decision with the system on a chip
5: I'd say it probably depends on the company, but in most cases, they would provide the software and some sort of updates for it.
4: Okay. Okay. So relatively similar on that end. And then, you know, one of my last questions for you is, where do you see this going? You know, is do we see this leaning in a specific direction yet? Is it too early to tell? What you know, you're around this kind of stuff all, all the time, and. What do you, where do you see this going?
5: You know, I don't really see system-on-chip really taking over the digital science space. I can see it moving towards other applications, maybe in the personal usage or for certain applications. But I feel like they'll both be around, especially with media players. They will doing those intense computing unless system-on-chip gets significantly better at just handling these really intense digital science-specific deployments.
4: Right. Yeah. And it definitely seems like we are, you know, we're, we're heading into a direction where, like, you know, a lot of the some of the bigger installments I've seen are at a- airports with all these kind of advertisements and everything I've read so far seems that a-, a lot of those are using, you know, media players instead of system on a chip. Is there is, is that generally true? Is there one dominating right now?
5: I'd say that's generally true. Almost all of the press releases I get that mention digital signage in some aspect, they will be using a media player.
4: Alrighty, and my last question for you, Bradley, is you know what do you think we have to look forward to next, right? If these two things, you know, let's say we have a, an obvious winner in, at some point, um, what what are what are we excited about? What are what are some of the possibilities that you know you're hearing about that that really um, exemplify you know the, the the innovation we're seeing in this space?
5: I'd say there are a couple of things. First of all, and this is something everyone's working on, is we're going to start seeing much more dynamic content. So you're going to see content that reacts to customer demographics. You're going to see someone walk by, and the display will show something that's tailor-made for them. And you're also going to see, of course, far more innovative, immersive content. I think you're going to see a lot more that involves some element of augmented reality. you much more interactivity between the customer and the display.
4: Bradley, well, thank you so much for, for talking to me. I I really appreciate your time and, uh, you know, just thank you.
5: No problem. Thank you so much.
2: Now for our second feature of the show, We're taking it back to the sports world again, but a different sports world. When you look at eSports, it's no longer a niche market. It has fans and it has revenue. And I mean a lot of revenue Uh, from 2017, 696 million worldwide, and they're on track to reach 1.3 billion by 2020, with an audience of over half a billion by the same time. So eSports is thriving, but it's still a young market. Which means big players can still stake their claim as core components for growth in the industry. The entire Pro AV industry could be this big player. Here to give some insight on why now is the critical point for Pro AV professionals to provide solutions for esports arenas and traveling tourneys is frequent collaborator Jennifer Willard, founder of Wave, and John Green, VP of Sales and Marketing for New Era Tech green with almost 40 years of experience is a dark horse in the industry having already worked on and completed several esports installations his insight is pretty invaluable let's jump in all right so we're joined by jennifer willard and john green great to have you both on the pro av show jennifer how are you doing today
1: i'm fantastic how are you daniel
2: Great. It's good to have you on here again. Uh, love chatting with you, and uh, your insight's always valuable. But you put together a great conversation for us today. You got us in touch with John Green, VP of Sales and Marketing for New Era Tech. John, great to have you on the podcast, too. How are you today?
6: Wonderful. Working off some turkey, but I'm fine.
2: Oh yeah. Let me tell you, that stuff really lingers, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'm excited to dig into our topic for today's feature, which is leveraging the eSports growing market in the pro AV industry and finding how can pro AV benefit from this really unprecedented growth of eSports and how can the pro AV industry sort of help set the stage for the technological side of things and beat out the IT guys or some of the big tech giants. So I think to really set the stage for how impactful eSports are right now in our culture is to look at this tweet that john you sent us over email but it's a tweet from the u.s army so the actual army tweeted that they have an esports team for fortnite and they're accepting applications through the end of the year and it sounds like um it almost sounds like one of those joke articles you would see pop up oh. on on twitter as like wow the army's playing esports but it's not it's very real and even the u.s army finds value in investing in in an esports team. I mean how how cool is that in your eyes?
6: Well I, I have to tell you, I, 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 that actually came to me just this morning and it doesn't surprise me. I think that's one of the things that we saw in the installation that we did and we were actually involved in a uh, music festival and a esports event that uh, these students are looking forward to using their, their talents in a, in a multitude of areas and, and one of them is Robotics. I mean, robotics and drone flight and things of that nature. So the Army having that dedication to it doesn't surprise us even a little bit.
2: Right, exactly. They're not shying away from empowering their people to take some pride in their STEM love.
6: Yes, well, I also think that you know the other thing is is that I think that there's a generation of people that are that grew up with gaming, and right. there's a sense of community being generated by all of this. That's the most surprising thing for me.
2: Well, I think you can see a trend of arenas popping up nationwide. I mean, people are really looking for an iconic hub to host these events and create those unforgettable memories. And there's HyperX Arena in Las Vegas that's going up soon. Arlington here in Texas, only about 20 minutes away, the city of Hang. Jew wants to be known as the esports capital of the world. I mean, you have whole communities coming together to empower this uh, growing market. Yeah,
6: I mean, the the one area that we we basically found ourselves in or we'll probably maintain, you know, our roadmap in is in the educational marketplace. I think that, uh, you know, our first installation was with Harrisburg University. But what was uncovered there was, an organization called NACE, which is basically at this current moment a count of 100 small schools that are basically putting together a community. Uh, we're also in, engaged with a with a company called uh, Nerd Street Gamers, which is based in Philadelphia that helps run the festival that uh, was held in Harrisburg. And their sole purpose is to bring the kids out of the room, bring them into a space. And what's amazing is is that the the children or the or the or the young adults are bringing their parents to these spaces, and as parents are going, going oh my God, and tears are coming to their eyes because they're socializing, they're reaching outside of themselves, outside of the games, and and it's it's there's a lot of good about this. And I, I think there's a lot of people that are surprised uh, about everything that's going to be touched with this, from psychology to medicine to furniture, to technology. There's an awful lot of things touching
2: it. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, the whole idea that gaming has this stigma around it, or at yes. least it has for several years, that if you are a gamer, you do not speak to people. You are trapped in your room. You are playing your games all day. And the most human contact you get is chatting with other people on your team on the headset, right? And, and, that's,
6: and But, that, that, but the, the amazing thing is, is chatting on a headset is they're talking to students. I mean, they, they're, they're talking to other. Gamers in other countries, exactly. not just down the street or not down in the basement. I mean, they're actually communicating and creating some kind of a network of of of, of people, and it's exactly amazing. it's amazing. And, and that's really, I think
2: it goes to show a lot of misconceptions around gaming and, you know, the idea that being in front of the television or being in front of the game system is detrimental when in reality, even if it is just in the comfort of your own home, you are still making those connections. But, I mean, taking this to the next level, you're looking at an esports arena. You're looking at bringing people together to either play or cheer on people that also enjoy this game. It's, it's really an authentic and... A, uh, a really potent way to create community for these games. And and it, it's very exciting that it's going to impact several different industries. But the one, obviously, that I really want to explore today is the AV industry. So, Jennifer, why don't we start with you? Um, h- how quickly did you see this trend pop up? And, and when do you feel like the AV industry actually started to take some interest in esports arenas?
1: I've noticed... Um That is as far back as 2017. um, Avixa was uh, discussing this in connection with Cedia at the Integrate conference, and they'll be having exhibits and um, topics around this and coming up in 2019. Um, You mentioned the Las Vegas um, arena that's just been um, opened up. Harman Professional, some of our manufacturers are actually uh, getting involved because. They provided a lot of the um, speakers, processors, amplifiers, um, you know AMX control systems and lighting fixtures to be part of that. Uh, there's also companies that I've seen, uh, a company called Reaction AV. I hadn't heard of it before, but it appears to be a company that is specifically designed around e-sports, audiovisual for e-sports, um, including live production, uh, streaming and all of those things. But, you know, John was really the the first one with his Harrisburg uh, University project where I really started to see that it's getting deep into our um, industry where companies are getting involved in doing you know, what you would expect, a lot of the integration work and actually, you know, setting these things up. I could tell you, yeah. I'm going to
6: add to that. I mean, the, the Avixa uh, article that they wrote, I, I'm assuming a couple of months ago, basically pegged this. And I'm, I'm getting some really odd numbers, but they pegged it as $230 billion industry. Um, and that's, you know, that's a big number. That's a big number. And there's also the fact that, you know, I've, heard, I've seen numbers of $79 billion. But I think that in the pro AV marketplace, there's a couple of areas besides the fixed installations. uh, You're also looking at live events and these are not small events. I mean, we actually investigated trying to do a small one here because we, we actually have a a, a brewery house right next to us and, and they were going to sponsor it. And the cost associated with it was, was a lot and we just didn't have the time to do it, but there was a lot of interest. Everything that we do and everything, every market that we touch we have the talents to accomplish without making any major changes to our businesses that's what's that's a, that's another great thing about this
2: do you think the av industry saw the opportunity in esports right off the bat or do you think it's still taking some massaging to get professionals to look at that industry as a really ripe opportunity to- well, I think you know, there's a couple
6: I'll be, I'll be frank. There's a couple of competitors who probably have us easily by a year. Uh, I think that they found themselves in much larger spaces that you, as much as you had mentioned earlier, arena events. So some of the competitors have seen a marketplace for this. Oddly enough, uh, I've gone to a couple of conferences with uh, similar vendors like ourselves and we sit down and we talk And I sat in front of about 15 people and talked about it, and they were just absolutely stunned that this market even existed. So I think there's a little sluggishness, but it also has to self-generate some of these opportunities.
1: One of the things that I just wanted to to add to that, and this actually came up kind of, you know, the reoccurring question about where we see our destiny as an industry. And something that really kind of started to, to strike me was, you know, one of the disadvantages that we might have as an industry is that we're so segmented within ourselves, meaning that, you know, we've got our consumer side of the market, we've got our live production event side of the market, we've got our pro AV side of the market. So in some ways, I think that our ability is hindered just kind of internally to be able to leverage all of, like you said, John. I mean, we have the talent, we have the technology, yes. we have all of the resources to be able to make such a fantastic opportunity out of this. But if we can keep ourselves segmented as an industry, um, we kind of lose some of that gusto, I guess you would say, to kind of really push forward and beat out some of these, you know, IT, you know, streaming companies that are coming online.
2: Right. I totally agree. And I think even though it's gaining a lot of revenue, it's still fresh. It's still a very young market. And there is an opportunity for the entire AV industry to step in and become the main providers of every single aspect of that esports arena.
1: John, one of the reasons that, you know, I think John is so successful in his company and every, you know, in his approach to how he does things and why he continues to, you know, be ahead of all the competitors in the industry is because he looks at it like that. But I don't know that that's necessarily a general approach. Right. Well, okay,
2: let's, let's go ahead and ask that question then, right? Like, it, it, how is this going to... Become that opportunity for the pro AV industry. So uh, let's hear it from both of you. Uh, what do you think it's going to take for the industry to see this opportunity as something that they can wholeheartedly command? And you know, what's it going to take for professionals to jump on board?
6: The first thing is is that you have to set aside disbelief. <laughs> I mean, that's the most amazing thing. Is is, is we as I spoke to some competitors, they're like, well. You know, it was an absolute disbelief that anybody would spend money. And, and it wasn't a little investment. There was a major investment, first off, in just the design of the space. Uh, and it was it was a C-level and, and at the university. It was the president's vision. So, you know, if you're going to get behind it and you see what the potential is just for your own organization. And that's what this president did. He was going to bring students in, create a team and create them as a, as a central hub for this. We were just just there and they said we need a space and we we designed it. So the first thing we sat down is we spent probably three or four months, you know, understanding what the market was, understanding what the requirements were, taking on things like ergonomics. These are things that we do day in and day out as an Navy industry.
2: Right. Jennifer, do you see the same?
1: I see the potential. I just don't know that it's gonna be executed. And you know, if I can you know, because, I mean, John is, is somebody that's forward thinking. John is, is the exception to the rule. And, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to, to him talk about all of these things, they're, they're no brainers. Um, they are absolutely, I mean, we all, every single one of our companies that are in our industry should be out doing this right now. Um, but it, I don't see it happening. And it's not necessarily happening. Some of the major ones are doing it. And I just, I wonder if it still has a lot to do with the demographics of what our industry is, we're not nimble. We don't do things like John, like like John is saying. Like he just went out, he saw it, he did it, and it's done. And now he has created a new portfolio. And I don't necessarily see more people taking those kinds of risks. And maybe John, you can, you know, put a few words right uh, or wrong. But- I, the
6: unfortunate thing is, I'm the canary in the coal mine. In many cases, and I think that there's a lot of ideas I've taken on that probably have a little bit, maybe a little bit. Too soon. Um, I don't feel that this is one of them. You ha- we have to hope that these colleges and universities are getting success, are seeing some kind of a benefit from it, are drawing students into it, and the students are finding pri- are finding jobs afterwards. But that's again where I think the benefit is our relationship with this community. there are future employees. I don't think it costs anything to join this parade, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it, I don't think it's going to take much time for successes to be had by a variety of different people.
2: So- right. Well, it sounds like it's that critical mass time to jump in. And it, I guess, like we said, only time will tell to see if uh, professionals can come together in the industry and really take advantage of this, honestly, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to to make an, an industry correlate with a market so deeply. Um, but it's going to take people like you, uh, John, like you, Jennifer, people that are passionate about the connection to jump in and be leaders about it. So thank you both for coming on the podcast and giving your insight on this uh i'm i'm excited to see how pro av and esports continue to work together
6: looking forward to it myself
2: Absolutely. all right everyone tears are rolling down my face because this episode has ended unfortunately that's it for today's episode of the pro av podcast show i hope you enjoyed this content I really liked exploring different sides of sports and how ProAV is stepping in to elevate those in-person experiences and really also enjoyed that ProAV battle. System on a chip versus media players. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the future. But yeah, hope you all enjoyed it and I hope you can imagine yourselves being part of this show because realistically you can. If you're in the industry, if you have an exciting story to tell, some industry news, you think what your company is doing is worthy of a feature, I'm all ears. I want to hear it. I want to get more authentic people on this podcast because uh, that's what is the lifeblood of this industry. It's people on the front lines. It's people installing, manufacturing, uh, communicating with customers. I mean, there's plenty of stories every day that are worthy of a podcast and it's up to y'all to source them. So... Let's hear them. Please send me an email at daniel.litwin at marketscale.com. Again, that's daniel.litwin at marketscale.com. Litwin spelled L I T W I N. All right, y'all. Looking forward to hearing your stories and looking forward to putting together the next episode. I think y'all are going to enjoy this next one we've got cooking up. So make sure to leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. And if you want to listen to previous episodes or any of our other content, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.